0: This is Andy Crouch, and welcome to the Beer Edge Podcast. Too often in the beer world, the media focus on ephemera. We write tasting notes, pass along press releases, or cover fast-moving trends. A valid criticism of the beer press is that it lacks substance and drive to address more complicated issues, especially sensitive ones. Yet to ignore these important subjects does a disservice to the public. First and foremost, a journalist's job is to seek information and to publish it. As a culture that purportedly appreciates truth and honesty, the old world of quality journalism seems more important than ever. At the outset, it's important to acknowledge the myth of objectivity in journalism. To be sure, fair and balance is not an achievable human reality. Everyone has a bias, even if it only manifests in the form of personal preference. Subjectivity, opinion, and point of view all have their place in reporting. At the end, there is but one goal, the truth. As a reporter, you have to nail your facts. In a democracy, A journalist's role is often described as serving as a bridge between authorities and people. A primary purpose is to inform the viewing, reading, or listening public about the views of those who you are interviewing. In my work, I've covered the beer trade for a long time, both as a reporter for various beer publications, a columnist for Beer Advocate magazine, a host of podcast and radio interviews, and now at Beer Edge. During that time, especially in recent years, I've sought to elevate the discussion about important topics whenever I'm interviewed. I could, of course, simply regurgitate tasting notes, promote my favorite hazy IPAs, and generally talk about the often celebrated community spirit narrative of craft. Instead, I think it's important that members of the beer media try and broaden the industry's discussion of key issues. When we speak with important individuals in the beer space, it is our responsibility as journalists, regardless of background or culture, to ask for responses to crucial issues of the day facing the trade. To do otherwise is tantamount to journalistic malpractice. So we ask these questions, gather and report the responses, and allow the information to inform a greater conversation. With this, journalists are not trying to lead or build a movement on these issues. We're not trying to center ourselves as part of the conversation or claim some greater understanding of the underlying issues such that others should listen to us or give our particular thoughts on a subject moving forward any greater credence. Instead, our role in raising these issues is to heighten awareness and to bring the conversations to the forefront. In this role, it is our job to ask questions, push back to get further information, and publish the responses. The direction the conversations take from there and which proper steps towards future progress should be undertaken, they're not in our hands, nor should they be. They can and should only be directed by those personally impacted by the issues. Once the sole purview of a small number of beer magazines and newspapers, usually run by white men, today the term beer media encompasses something far broader and more open to public participation than at any time in the past. No longer encumbered by the archaic and high barrier to entry print model, social media and blogs provide new voices with an opportunity to express themselves and pursue issues of importance to each writer or content creator. The blurring of the lines between the classic reporter role and the more recent advent of social media-based users is not without complications. The traditional concepts of independent reporting and journalism have certainly been stretched into new shapes. Yet this devolution of the means of publication and the corresponding lowering of the bar of entry has allowed for many previously ignored and suppressed viewpoints to rise up and be heard. And that is excellent news, it's exciting, it's powerful, and it's the future. In a time when many beer magazines and other publications have gone out of business, we at Beer Edge continue to try and elevate underrepresented voices and points of view. We love talking with people who hold different points of view as they challenge our own perspective and help our expand our minds and experiences. We will continue to do so moving forward and welcome any suggestions that you have as to who we should be covering but I would encourage reporters, journalists, commentators, bloggers, and social media mavens to raise these important issues in conversations with others in the beer trade. The responsibility to have conversations relating to key issues is incumbent on all of us. We do not claim to have all the answers, and we won't always get it right, but we are dedicated every day to doing the best work we can and to presenting that for public review and even scrutiny. And as always, we welcome your questions, comments, and criticism of our work. We hope you will continue to support independent beer journalism. It is more important than ever. Well, joining us as he does from time to time here on the Beer Edge podcast is Beer Edge co-founder, editor, and straight from the garden, uh, John Hall. How are you doing, John?
1: I'm fine, Andy. Thanks for that uh, uh, always wonderful introduction. You're uh sharing the personal details of my, my downtime with people every time we go on the air. And I always sort of appreciate that.
0: Well, the people need to know how your tomatoes <laughs> are doing. So
1: they need all the help they can get right now. And I'm not a, well equipped to, to, to be there for them. Much like, you know, uh, local government's helping out breweries right now. I thought that was a perfect
0: uh, transition. Yeah. It was just <laughs> much like the, much like the apt for the circumstances we all find ourselves in.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, well, thanks for thanks for having me back on, and um, yeah, let's let's get into it.
0: Okay, there's a lot to discuss. A lot of things going on. Um, I think one of the things that we've discussed previously is just talking about, you know, there's a lot of serious things going on. A lot of you know existential crises and and circumstances going on in the industry. But to just start a touch lighter, though, also still serious, talk to me a little bit about your thoughts on the role of Breweries engaging in in I guess what we can call IP theft lately because it, it seems like this is an issue that's been out there for quite some time and you know we're still seeing ever more ridiculous cases of it.
1: Yeah, I think I, I, I've seen a couple of examples uh, in the in, over the last couple of weeks of breweries that are either you know taking the names of existing breweries. Um, or or existing beers uh, and trying to sort of pass it off and hope that nobody notices, or uh, are using you know, movie quotes or taking uh, somebody else's art and using it on, on, on their labels. And you know, I, I think as everybody is struggling right now, this sort of thing that ha- has been happening since almost you know, craft beer began, um, you know, it, it it really is just distracting from the actual work that needs to be done and. I I think still shows a level of immaturity by some folks that are operating in the beer space um, that they're not putting their energies where it should be of, you know, keeping the business open, but instead are, you know, either going for a a, a cheap joke or hoping that they'll get noticed, you know, because, you know, they're hoping for a cease and desist letter. And, you know, that's just, uh, I I would hope that through all the seriousness that we've been through over the last couple of months, that some of that stuff would have stopped, but one only needs to go over to Worst Beer Blog on Instagram, and you know, you'll get your your eye-rolling dose of you know folks who uh, uh, are claiming innocence or claiming ignorance, but uh, probably knew exactly what they were doing when they when they first launched something. So it's a good reminder of uh, you know if you're going to wind up on that particular site, which is you know fun and entertaining to read, but if something that you're doing has the potential to wind up on that site, maybe take a couple of deep breaths and. Rethink your your situation.
0: Yeah, we've seen uh, a lot of businesses, especially in the beer trade, having you know plenty of troubles this year. But one who seems to be doing rather well for himself is indeed you know Worst Beer Blog. You know, you know, even in a pandemic, we we see the worst in all of us brought out sometimes. Whether it's uh, racist comments by an owner, or in this case, IP theft. But yeah, it just seems like. You know, not a week goes by when you know you have the two versions of this. Basically, the first one is, you know, we've decided to make a Captain Crunch beer, so we are going to steal all of the Captain Crunch logo and basically the name, and and it looks like a Captain Crunch beer bottle, basically, or exactly. something along those lines. And those are just designed to either, like you said, drive some traffic, get some attention, um, and then you know quietly go off into the sunset when the C and D letter arrives. But another is, you know, breweries you know with 8,000 almost 9,000 breweries in this country, you know, and you know how many countless tens and tens and tens and of hundreds of thousands of beer names out there, there is going to be some tripping over one another, but we've seen some breweries, you know, you know new ones opening trying to use words that have been trademarked uh, or subject to a trademark protection by other larger breweries. You know, Stone is one example. They're constantly— Stone's a great example. Yeah, they're constantly fending off, uh, you, know, you, know, in, you know, other breweries coming into that territory. And while certainly some can think that fair or not fair, I think, you know, these trademark issues have been going on for a long time. I You know, when you were still the editor at All About Beer, may it rest in peace— I wrote a piece for you on trademark, you know, law and litigation, and that was I don't even know how many years ago, seven years yeah, ago or something like that. Five now. or six, yeah. Um, and it just you know, we're still we're still in it, and I would say, you know, there's nothing better than than watching sort of beer Twitter and and people online go and become armchair legal experts when it comes to something as complicated as as trademark and IP law. But you know, that's what happens anytime. You know, Stones found itself on both sides of this with its you know lawsuit. Uh, with regards to um you know, Keystone, Keystone and then certainly
1: some of the other smaller breweries that have used the word stone.
0: Yeah. So this is a constant thing and it will continue to be the thing. But it just sort of amazes me that, you know, folks wouldn't you know, they always seem very surprised when that C and D letter shows up or when the you know letter from the attorney shows up and in my mind I would just think, you know, with a million names out there, why not just steer widely clear of that?
1: hmm Agreed.
0: So in looking at other news from this past week, we've had you know an assortment of things happen. One of the big ones was sort of that we wrote about in the Beer Edge newsletter this week had to do with the Florida Brewers Guild releasing a letter uh, you know, as with many other places in the country. You know, Breweries in Florida are having a very tough time. You know, there has been a change in in directions based upon state, you know, regulations and state laws about, you know, what is allowed to be open at what times and in what manner. And that, you know, from California to Florida for a lot of these breweries is changing day to day and almost minute to minute to the extent that they try to make plans and then end up having to cancel those, even though they've spent a lot of money, you know, trying to go into it and just sort of the inconsistent application of of state and local laws are driving a lot of these breweries crazy. And they're now starting to see that we are going to be in this for, not just the months or weeks we were initially told but well into 2021 and starting to figure out whether they can they can survive but on top of that you know their representatives in you know the trade organizations they support including the Florida Brewers Guild in this case are trying their best to you know to get out there and and talk to you know state and local officials trying to you know try to you know make available the best opportunities they can you know in terms of the the limited circumstances they're in but here the Florida Brewers Guild sort of uh, stepped in it a little bit uh, with a letter that they wrote to state legislature legisl- legislators can you talk to us a little bit about what that that letter looked like and and what some of the problems were with it
1: sure so this went out to Ron DeSantis who's the uh, governor of uh, Florida as well as the uh, the secretary uh, for business and professional regulation um, in the state, and they're saying the letter starts off by by talking about the economic impact that uh, Florida brewers have, and they they cite that the vast majority of over 320 small businesses representing over 10,000 jobs, um, you know, have been existing on strictly a to go model. Um, has been sort of less than 10% of collective sales, and it's untenable for the beer industry. And they're saying that if, if some of the, the restrictions that the, the state put in place just recently uh, continue, that we will see hundreds of closures of breweries in the state. And so they start to lay out what they, uh, why uh, breweries should be exempt and should be able to remain open, much in the same way that theme parks and, and some of the other things that, that draw people to Florida uh, have been able to do. And the, the second point that they, they list in this letter uh, is that uh, the brewing industry is the, quote, number one tool utilized by municipalities to gentrify areas in dying neighborhoods yeah yeah so obviously right off the bat um putting that out there that became the story and and then there's some other things in the letter as well that we can talk about in a minute but um you know but suddenly a letter that had you know intentions of saying okay like let's help us save the business suddenly uh was being called out for racist tones and for using language that uh, many find um, correctly, um, you know, offensive and problematic. And so um, uh, they changed the letter, they softened it uh, a a little bit, but the damage was done. And that's sort of what the conversation has been about um, when it comes to the Florida Brewers Guild and and certainly with everything that has been happening uh, with racial equality efforts in the country. Uh, it's shown a spotlight on Florida and the folks at the guild and and brewery members, um, and they they correctly got called out for it.
0: Yeah, and in your the article you wrote for us in Beer Edge newsletter this week, you're talking about the importance of of words and how they matter, and it's you know not just actions but also you know how we speak, but also when we speak, it sort of can give you a window into our underlying thinking. And I think that is part of the problem here is that craft beer has long been proud of it's efforts to essentially find inexpensive uh, locations in which to open you know, open you know larger manufacturing uh, plants and facilities. And in you know metropolitan city centers that is not you know not usually a particularly viable option for a business that runs on somewhat tight margins. So oftentimes you know smaller brewers have found themselves in communities that are distressed and economically disadvantaged, but then to sort of promote it as look we, Generally speaking, a you know a white you know white owned white run white staffed company comes into a neighborhood and essentially saves what you know they're trying they're terming a dying, you know a dying community a dying neighborhood you know you know fundamentally misapprehends the nature of what those neighborhoods are to the people who are living there and sort of promotes something that I think you know like I said a window into the soul that they don't quite realize. Just the damage that that does, and and why that is offensive and problematic for those communities, and it was just yet another in a long, you know, string, especially recently, of just just bad missteps that that sort of show the underlying problems that continue in this business.
1: You know, and and what's interesting is there are documented health impacts uh, when. Uh, Neighborhoods, you know, undergo a process like that, and actually, the the CDC, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, uh, has actually talked about uh, displacement as having uh, negative health uh, implications. Uh, quote that contribute to disparities among special populations, including the poor, women, children, the elderly, and members of racial, uh, ethnic minority groups. So, like right off the bat, you know, to to be using that particular word and to, to, to you know, putting it out there and, and touting was, um, you know, tone deaf, you know, at best. And
0: yeah. And you, you look at, you know, you look at the, and not to pick on the Florida Brewers Guild, you know, despite their air in the situation, but, and this you know, represents a lot of what the country looks like as well, but you, you look at the board there and it's, you know, largely all white, all male board. And I think that these are the types of, you know, mistakes, that are made, you know, the, the type of thinking that that goes uncorrected when that is what, you know, that that your board, you know, doesn't necessarily reflect either the larger community or even, you know, the larger brewing community, especially in a place as diverse as Florida.
1: Yeah, uh, 100%. So, you know, I, I, I think at this point, like, the businesses that are, everybody's grasping at straws and nobody is slowing down and actually thinking about, you know, what what it is that they're saying, because they're trying to focus on the ultimate goal of how do we save the business. And I think this really did highlight a good reason to just sort of take a breath, um, always the importance of just sort of taking a breath um, and having you know, diverse staff members and having, you know, other people, counselors, um, or, you know, a, a diverse board that can look at these types of things before they go out and, you know, have it run up the poll and say, you know, is this, you know, are we we saying the right message here? Are we conveying our our, our point in the right way? And, you know, had this particular group, you know, had a multitude of voices, you know, it might have been saved. And I think that's what the the overall industry is working on right now of, uh, you know, trying to get more diverse voices with different points of view.
0: One of the things you'd mentioned is, you know, part of the problem inevitably here is just the dire straits situation that breweries find themselves in and so we in the early days of the pandemic back in you know march and april we you know we saw organizations like the brewer's association put out some surveys from their members saying that you know something like a third of them thought they would close in three months or something along those lines you know pretty pretty eye-catching numbers and we saw places like the California Brewers Guild and other state guilds doing, you know, similar surveys of their membership. And it was, you know, the results were pretty dire, especially in the early days when we didn't really quite understand the length of this process and what it would actually involve, especially as we started to see other countries start to open up a little bit. Um, And obviously the United States is on a completely different path than most of them. So I guess my, you know, my, my thought or my question here is, you know, in those initial days, when we saw such dire numbers, those numbers did not come to be. We are now, you know, three and four months past that, and we have not seen a whole ton of closures, at least in the brewing space. My question is, do you expect that to continue, um, or do you think that we're, you know, that we are now entering a new phase here, where you know some breweries have figured out a model that's going to work for them that is a small percentage of what they used to do, and others are starting to realize that this isn't ending anytime soon, and if, you know, if perhaps the taproom model was your model, that, you know, things are going to get real dire real soon.
1: So I, 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 I we have seen some breweries close, um, you know, towards the end of months, uh, or over the last couple of months, you know, as as rent came due or leases were coming up, um, you know, we did see you know, people close down. And this was, I think, in more populated brewery states, uh, California, Colorado, uh, jumped to mind as, as places where you know, we were seeing coverage of you know, somebody else uh, uh, calling it quits. Um, but for these first couple of months, I, I, I think that people were working with their landlords, uh, working with their banks uh, to renegotiate debt. Um, they were um, you know, working with suppliers and uh, trying to figure out ways to, to lower their bills. Uh, and in a lot of cases, you know, people were furloughed and laid off. And so the breweries that are operating right now I think are are by and large operating with skeleton staff or you know, the very bare minimum, and so that that's bought people time. And as they figured out online stores and have been able to figure out uh, engaging with social media and creating beers that people want to drink and that are you know easy and convenient to to, to pick up or have been able to get into to new shelves. Like yeah, uh, in stores, I, yeah, I, I think that those breweries um, you know can hang on for you know for, for a while longer as long as that makes financial sense. There are some, however, who haven't been able to renegotiate that or, you know, they got three months of uh, rent forgiveness or mortgage forgiveness or or something, um, and that's starting to expire. The PPP loans um, are starting to expire as well. And so I I, I do think that we are headed into a a new chapter, I guess, or a a new section of this uh, pandemic where... You know, once you start to put your pen to the ledger, you know, what are the numbers going to tell you and is that going to be you know, tenable you know, when we think about so many breweries you know these are the summertime months where a lot of vacation states you know I think right. was, you know, up in New England right, right. Uh, you know Maine and Vermont and you know places that that get you know huge heavy tourism and that these businesses rely on the four months of summer to you know, really fuel the rest of the year you know what happens when September 1 rolls around? And right. they start to, to to look at it. So, you know, it, it it's tough to say, but there where there was optimism in owners and brewers voices, maybe a month ago when I was talking to them, I'm starting to hear some of the worry and resignation creep back in uh, over the course of the last two weeks or so.
0: Yeah, it's, you know, especially for places like you talk about in Maine, you know, Maine still is, has some travel restrictions, you know, like if you come from Massachusetts, where I'm based, even though our numbers are reasonably comparable to to Maine in terms of our test results, you know, they're still requiring quarantines. And that, you know, and a variety of other issues are just you just crushing the, that summertime market there, which, as you said, is, you know, for some of these places, 80, 90% of, you know, what they make in the course of a year and you know other places just you know anecdotally sort of in the boston area we have seen restaurants in in, the, in that trade slowly you know start you know more and more noises being made about about closures and we're starting to see them group together in twos and threes and fours and fives names of places that you wouldn't expect to ever close just saying look you know we've, we've tried it we've tried every model we could you know we tried being closed we tried being doing takeout we tried doing the limited sidewalk uh, you know, dinners, but at some point here, you know, the, the rationale is, you know, the snow is going to come, the cold weather is going to come. I don't know how many, you know, if you want to get into a trade right now that I think is, uh, has high upside value for the future is you probably want to get in on that, uh, on that outside outdoor heater, you know, market, you know, cause I think that's, you know, people are going to try to do that for at least a little while, but, you know, at some point, especially in some of these colder, colder climates, like these places aren't going to have almost any any of that outdoor revenue that they had you know even that minimal stuff for the last couple of months that has helped them tide things over a little bit and without the bump in money that they usually get during that summertime it's hard to see how we this fall doesn't turn into something other than a bloodbath short of you know finding a vaccine and having the the population widely adopt it which also isn't its own type of question
1: yeah I, I mean it's' Again, I think everybody is cautious, but uh, is now much more attuned to their business than maybe they had been. I think everybody is watching every penny. Uh, everybody is carefully looking at you know uh, their balance sheet and what's coming in and what's going out. Uh, not only money wise, but beer wise, uh, which you know can certainly tell them uh, you know what what the next couple of months could look like as well. And I think we're all a little bit hardened now and i i mean this for all of us uh, a little bit hardened by the realities of the last couple of months uh, that we are able to have hard conversations a little bit easier um than maybe we would have at the beginning of this because you know a lot of people have been going through a lot of hardships you know, uh, work-wise or you know personally or professionally whatever um you know so having these conversations they're they're difficult, but you know they're necessary. And I think if you sort of you know look around at all the other masked faces out there, uh, you realize that you're not alone in this. That, yep. You know you're not an island right now.
0: One of the things uh, I brought up and talked about a little bit on Twitter this week was how before COVID, I was not somebody who drank at home very often, or, or certainly not beer. I would have a glass of wine on occasion, or a cocktail, or a glass of bourbon, but otherwise not. Most of my drinking happened in bars and in tap rooms, and that was you know just how i how I preferred it. And you know, as someone with a young kid, like I didn't go out that often, but you know once or twice a week, if I was lucky, maybe often once a week, frankly. but you uh, say still, twice yeah, a week, twice You're a week, pretty lucky. Yeah, yeah, it didn't it didn't really happen like that. So uh, you know often you know just once a week, and that was you know where I would you know basically have a beer or two. And otherwise, so that for me has been kind of a big loss because now I'm you know home. Ninety-nine percent of the time, and uh, you know, I'm not not quite used to being a home drinker. But I guess the question for you is: Have you been out at all? Have you been to any any breweries or tap rooms? I know, as someone who travels, used to travel a ton for work. You know, one of the great joys was traveling around the country and visiting new breweries or going back to breweries that you love, or you know, drinking with local friends or or others in the in- industry. You know, have you been out at all?
1: No, I haven't um and 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 it's sort of driving me nuts because much in the same way and i know this comes as a surprise when i always tell people that especially people who know me um i didn't drink a lot at home either uh it was very rare that i would open up a beer uh you know recreationally if i'm doing taste tests or something like that for the magazine uh of course but like otherwise it's uh Um, I really wasn't drinking it at at home a lot because, well, I drank a lot when I was out and traveling and out in the world. So um, so that has been a weird thing for me. It's sitting on the back deck and uh, watching my wild tomato patch and having two (laughs) beers is is sort of this foreign thing. And I I dig it. And uh, my wife will have some with me. And it's a it's a it's a it's a nice respite. But no, I haven't been to any bars. Uh, I haven't been to any breweries. Um, I haven't had a draft beer. I think since uh, the day that I was up in Maine with you um, uh, at the beginning of, uh, of March. And so it's uh, yeah, it's, it's sort of this weird thing. And I, I keep hearing from, from folks much in the same way of like how much they're missing the routine or how much they're missing just the um, uh, not the frivolity of it, but the indulgence of being able to stop into a pub and, have a pint and just see other people that aren't wearing masks or, right. you know, it, it, cause it was always sort of an escape if you were able to go to a bar or a brewery. Um, and you know, I, it, I'm the people who were going and, and hanging out outside at some of these places, I think that's great. Um, and if you're in a situation where, uh, where you can do it, um, you know, more power to you. And I, I certainly miss, and I'm certainly looking forward to getting back to it, but, um, uh, no, I haven't. And it's, uh, I'm, I'm missing it a great deal.
0: I can tell you the first draft beer you have is going to be a revelation. I have been out to two breweries, uh, a total of three times places that I you know trust pretty, pretty strongly to do a good job. I also go at very off hours. So I will go right when they open at, at noon or something along the, one of the benefits of working for yourself, I suppose uh, noon on a Tuesday or something like that, or on a Thursday and go for, you know, here we're limited by about 90 minutes. So you get about two beers or so, and then that's plenty. And, you can go home. So I've been to Harpoon and Idle Hands, both have done great jobs, and it's been it's been great to get out there. And but it is still, uh, you know, my family is now up here, uh, you know, for you know who knows how long now. They're up from Florida, and so you know when I got to take my parents out last week to you know just to have a beer, you know, just the look on their faces was priceless. Just the ability to sit and it's the fine you know moment to finally relax for a few minutes and all of this. So I wish that, you know, for, you know, for every one of our listeners and everybody out there, the opportunity to get out and have a draft beer. And you know, obviously it's on whatever schedule you set and whatever you feel safe with, but uh, it is good stuff. And yeah, drinking yeah. at home in the yard is great and all, you know, I still, I look forward to getting back to that.
1: Yeah. The socially distanced driveway beers that I've had have uh, gotten better since I put up a little sunshade you uh, with with some folks who have stopped by. But aside from that, it's uh, yeah, it's not quite the same thing. And uh, my kid isn't necessarily taking to all these bartending lessons that I'm trying to enforce on her
0: <laughs> she'll come around uh, <laughs> one other topic that you know to talk about here is we we're starting to see that annual complaint and 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 on online social media people complaining about seeing you know about style creep about uh, the creep <laughs> of of seasonal beer showing up way too early and reminding us that summer will be a fading memory you know soon enough whether you know for years it was people railing against pumpkin beer and and lately uh, the the mobs have come for oktoberfest
1: yeah i don't understand the hate for oktoberfest uh and and was it you on on twitter who said that you'd drink it all year round yes i would yeah it's a great okay.
0: style and i don't want it just for uh, you know a two month window of time from you know july to to august or september yeah.
1: I think there's going to be always people who complain and, well, you know, that's 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 just the way that it is. Uh, there's some really wonderful Oktoberfests that are being made these days. I mean, Jack's Abbey puts out a great one. Urban Chestnut yep. puts out a great one. Uh, Annegrin puts out a great one. And, uh, you know, Sierra Nevada has really stepped it up in the last couple of years and uh, making a, a fully – Uh, national Oktoberfest available and in the past they've done it with German brewers and this year I think they just did it all in-house because they couldn't travel for collaborations but um, you know and I think that that particular beer has helped the Sierra Oktoberfest has really helped bring it back into the mainstream consciousness for drinkers who were really only focused about pumpkin this time of year and so if you go back what six seven years it was so hard to find a proper Oktoberfest in America you know, Sam Adams obviously had theirs, but right. um, you know, but if you wanted like a proper Oktoberfest, it was hard to find one because we were just a wash in pumpkin spice. Yep. And so that there's even choice right now is something to celebrate, not necessarily something to complain about. And uh, you know, you don't have to drink it now; you can stock up, put it in the cellar. Yeah. And uh, and save it for the middle of September when, you know, it's a little bit more appropriate, I guess. Uh, and by that point, the shelves are going to be empty and filled with Christmas beers and you're going to miss out.
0: So right, exactly. get it
1: now and store it. And, well, there's no need for complaints. There's yeah too many other things to focus on.
0: I think uh, style creep is one of those things that, you know, it, you can literally set a calendar to it is when, is when it's going to come back up. But for this one, I'm, I'm willing to give Oktoberfest a pass. I'm hoping that uh, we see more and more styles. And while I have no interest in bringing on, you know, the colder weather and, and being locked in my house for a lengthy periods of time, you know, I am at least given given the the benefit of knowing that I, I could potentially have a, a couple of nice cool bottles of Oktoberfest uh, in a mug next to me
1: yeah absolutely
0: well John as always want to thank you for coming on hope your tomatoes continue to do well and have a good weekend and uh, we'll talk to you soon sounds good thanks for listening to the Beer Edge podcast my partner John Hall and I work hard to bring you fresh and insightful content related to the ever-changing world of craft beer we're passionate about beer and independent journalism if you're interested in supporting Beer Edge visit our website beeredge.com which is updated regularly with new content interviews and articles please also consider leaving us a review on apple podcasts or wherever you get your episodes you can also subscribe to the beer edge newsletter on our website is there anyone you think that we should be talking to please drop us a line at andy at beeredge.com with your thoughts thanks for your support